are 39 milahot which constitute forms of work forbidden on the Sabbath. It's the why behind the way we do the things we do. Join Rabbi Musha Schnurb now for Hilchos Shabbos only on 101.9 High FM. Welcome, welcome, welcome to Soul to Soul on Chai FM this Erev Shabbos afternoon, Pashas Chai Gesorat Tafshin Pei Gimel. An incredibly warm welcome to all of our radio family. Thank you so much for taking time on a very busy Friday afternoon to come join us, to come learn some Torah, to come be inspired and make this Shabbos Kodesh a very, very special Shabbos Kodesh in our in our lives. We start right away with the Pasha by Yiuchai Sara. Maya Shona, the Esrim Shona, the Sheva Shonim, Shinei Chaye Sara. Sara's lifetime was 100 years, 20 years, and 7 years. The Chazal and the Medrash relate a quite an intriguing story. Rabbi Akiva was giving a deep, intricate shear and he noticed that his students were kind of drifting off. In order to arouse them from their slumber, he presented them with a question, more like a riddle. It says, why did Esther merit to reign over 127 countries? He answered, she was a descendant of Menu, who had lived 127 years. The question is obviously rhetorical. The answer is beguiling, right? What does one have to do with the other? It's not as if Esther actually reigned over 127 countries. She was married to King Ahasuerus, who ruled over all of these countries. So Rav Tzadik HaKain from Lublin offers an incredible, incredible explanation, which actually has a very deep lesson for all of us. Esther took her life into her own hands when she went uninvited to meet Ahasuerus in the palace. Anyone who entered the palace uninvited was condemned to death. Hashem protected her and she emerged unscathed. From where did she derive the courage to risk her life in this manner? Chazal teach that when Esther entered the royal chamber, she became ensconced with a holy presence, like kind of a Ruach HaKadosh. It was this divine presence that almost catalyzed the captivation of the king's heart, allowing her to live. How did she achieve such an elevated spiritual level to merit divine protection? Rav Tzaddik is of the opposites that Esther used Sarah, her ancestress, as a role model. Sarah achieved spiritual distinction in her life such that has never been emulated. Right? We must factor in the very murky roots of Sarah's early life. She was raised by her Zayda, by her grandfather, Terach, was an adulterer of the lowest, lowest order. A man who was prepared to send his sons to their deaths because Avram had ridiculed him and his lifeless idols. Everywhere Sarah went, she was confronted by the cruelty and perversity associated with idol worship. She knew that she was destined for a greater, holier life. She bided her time, knowing that one day she would sever her relationship with them and move on to a better, more sanctified life. It took time, patience, and intense yearning and commitment, but she made it. Not only did Sarah leave her ignoramus past, she was able to employ her murky past to enhance and enable her commitment to Hashem. Her humble background enabled her 
to nurture a sense of humility and diffidence, which led her to HaKadosh Baruch Hu. She married and was now recognized as the wife of the most distinguished monotheistic theologian of his time. A man who literally stood alone against a whole world of falsehoods and, and paganism. She fought every step of the way, never giving up. What, what, what she asking too much? Was she striving too high? When she married Avram Avinu, the marriage did not go to her head. She maintained the submissive character that had always been her trademark. And Esther could easily have given up and fallen into despair. Right? She could have become despondent, thinking that HaKadosh Baruch had left her. She was no longer the same Esther. She was now married to this despot, to a goy, a cruel individual, right? an avowed enemy of the Jews. She could have pitied herself, and as a result, not imagined that HaKadosh Baruch would save her. She kept her chin up and went forward. After all, her role, model, meant Sarah would have done exactly the same. If she was here in Shushan, married to the king, right, it must have been by divine initiative. She would watch it play out. 11.1, Chai FM, this is Soul to Soul. We'll be back lots much more on coming. This is Hilchos Shabbos with Rabbi Moshe Schnurb, only on 101.9 High FM. 101.9 High FM, this is Soul to Soul, back on your radio. Erev, Shabbos, Kedish, Pashas, Chai Yesara, Tafshin, Pei Gimel. Another beautiful, beautiful Shabbos upcoming. And there's so much to learn. All these Pashas of Sefer Bereshis are so full of, of teaching so full of great practical advice of how we can run our lives. In fact, we're going to see that this week's Pasha is absolutely action-packed and full of things that we can take with us into our very lives. They tell a story about one of the great G'daylim of, of in the previous in the previous generation that one day arrived in his home some kind of new fangled machine that just had been sort of arrived in the in in the marketplace and was delivered to his house. So the Rav looked at the at this contraption and didn't know what to do with it. But he found next to it in the box a a, a little uh, 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 booklet, and and in that booklet was the instruction manual, was exact instructions how to use this particular gadget. So the Rav read the instructions, and he was amazed to actually reveal that we were talking about very simple and straightforward instructions. The machine wasn't difficult to use at all. You just had to follow the instructions, and it would work. It would work perfectly. Right? And uh, and it was so you know, almost like self-explanatory. So he's sitting there reading this, and his wife says to him, "Yes, that's the way it is. That's that's the sort of the the moda. That's the custom today. No one who creates and markets anything, if you want to have any self-respect and want to make a success of your product, no one is going to market any." Uh, 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 object, any new invention, any, anything that people don't know how to use without a clear set of instructions. Okay, nowadays a lot of them are translated from Chinese and, and some of them are therefore unintelligible, but basically the instructions are very, very straightforward. And the robe was so impressed, he was so excited, and he said, oh wow! If that's so, if anyone who creates any commodity for the, for the, the use of the public understands obviously that you're obligated to put together with it a, a very, very direct and straightforward and, and uh, uncomplicated 
instruction manual for every single object. So all the more so that if HaKadosh Baruch Hu went, that if Hashem went and created the world, you can't even conceive that if HaKadosh Baruch Hu created this entire huge complicated world, right, and with so many different energies and abilities and things going on, is, is it possible to even maintain that HaKadosh Baruch Hu would have created such a world and not provide a detailed, straightforward, absolutely self-explanatory instruction manual how to use the world? And when people ask, you know, what do we need to fulfill all the Torah and, and all the mitzvahs. So there are various answers that are usually provided for that question. Some like to answer, no, that this is the way doing mitzvahs is the way that a person can amass reward and benefit for the world to, to come. World to come is the ultimate place where we want to be, where we want to get to. And, and the, the means, the modicum of, of, of achievements that will bring us to that world is Tyremitsis. That's one very plausible understanding. Others talk about the fact about the incredible happiness, the incredible satisfaction, the, infer- the incredible feeling of, of just feeling good and, and, and the feeling of being so complete that a lifestyle of Tyremitsis uh, provide for, for a person. It feels like a million bucks. But the reality is that it's very, very important and worthwhile to remember the, the absolute most simple and most basic truth. And that is that the Torah is nothing less than an instruction manual for the entire world. Therefore, all these parshas of these, of these weeks come to teach us a way, a path, a, a direction of how to live life. And therefore, let's say, Parshas Bereshis, which is the very, very first Parsha of, of the Torah, teaches us the very first lesson, lesson number one that we have to learn. And that is the belief in HaKadosh Baruch Hu, to believe without any shadow of a doubt and without any second guessing and any questions and any and any you know any thoughts that there is a creator to this world that this world came into existence by the express actions of of Akadosh Baruch Hu. and if there's any sort of uh, uh, I don't know. Uh, shepherd who, who grows, uh, 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 pigs in somewhere in northern, uh, 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 Russia and he dies and when he comes up to the basin in Shamayim, he's gonna say, I didn't know this. I don't know. What is Elohim? What is Hashem? I never heard of it. It never came to my, to my attention. So he's going to be punished for that because the very creation itself, the world itself testifies that there is a creator to the world. And that's Pasha's Bereshus teaches us the very first and most basic lesson that we need to know to recognize and to believe that there is a creator to this, to this world. That's the lesson. That's the bottom line of, of Pasha's Bereshus. In Pasha's Nayach. So that's already a second step. Right? We're going up a level. In the second Pasha we learn, I believe with an absolute, sincere, incontrovertible belief, does good things for those who keep his mitzvahs, and punishes those who violate, those who are contemptuous of HaKadosh Baruch Hu's mitzvahs. It of course comes from the 13 fundamental principles of faith from, from the Rambam. In other words, in Pasha's Nayach, we learned 
that HaKadosh Baruch Hu gives rewards to the righteous, like Noach, he was saved, the world carried on through him, and punishes the, the evildoers, as, as we see the generation of the, uh, of the Mabul, and the generation of the flood, of the, of the Dora Flaga, of the Tower of Babel, right? And our purpose in Pashas Nayach is to strengthen ourselves in this whole concept of schar and einish, of rewards and, and punishment. Pashas Lech Lecha, the third Pasha of the Torah, is already a higher level. Lech Lecha. Hashem tells Abraham Avinu, go for yourself. And Rashi says, for your own benefit, for your own good. Avraham Avinu know that when he left the city of, of the area of Haran and he went to Eretz Israel, he knew that that's going to bring him all kinds of rewards. But he doesn't make this great trip. He doesn't make Aliyah. He doesn't uh, move himself because he wants to get the, the reward. Only because he knows that this is the will of HaKadosh Baruch Hu. And he loves HaKadosh Baruch Hu, And therefore, he wants to do what Hashem tells him to do. This is already a different level. This is a yira. This is an awe of the Raimamus of the of the greatness and the love of Akadish Barhu. And therefore Avram Ovinu is called Avram Oyhavi, the one who Hashem loves, because he showed his in his great devotion following all of Hashem's instructions, in spite of the fact that he knew that uh, as as difficult as it was. Pashas Vayera, this is already yet a higher level. Where in this Pasha, we learn about Akedah Yitzchak, that a Jew, right, from, because of his great love towards HaKadosh Baruch Hu, is even prepared to give his life and to die al al Hashem. We're going to come back with this discussion in a moment. This is 11.9. Chai FM, the program is Soul to Soul. Please stay with us. We're just getting started. This is Hilchos Shabbos with Rabbi Moshe Schnurb, only on 101.9 High FM. 101.9 High FM, this is Soul to Soul, back on your radio, Erev Shabbos Kedesh, Parshas, Chaye Saratov, Shin Pei Gimel. We are talking about great and important lessons that we learn from the Parshas that we've had so far this year because we established that the Torah is in fact the instruction manual, the how-to, how to use it for this for this world. And we mentioned just before the break that Parshas Vayera is the Parsha that teaches us that a person is even required to make the supreme sacrifice, even of his life sometimes because of his great love of, of Hashem. In fact, the, the Rashba brings in his response he says, the Pasuk says, Ki We've been killed for you, Baruch, for your sake, every single day. He says, how is it possible? How could a person be killed every single day? So he says, no, it means every single day when we say the Shema, we say, We have to Hashem you must love Hashem, with your hearts, with all of your Life with everything, with all your soul, and the Gemara, the Gemara learns that that means that it's as if so by, 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 by us saying that we're prepared to do that, and and with a conviction we're prepared to do it. So that as if we are being killed for Akharish Baruch's sake every single hour. Why? Because anyone who agrees to this ideal is as if you actually fulfilled it and carried it out. An example to the great, incredible, mysterious nefesh and self-sacrifice of the Jewish nation. So they tell that there was a certain uh, a, a pub that, uh, and, and the pub was full. There wasn't a single, single place. And all the farmers and the peasants were, were sort of sitting there and the, and the, the soldiers, right, who were serving the, in the army of, of the, of the Tsar. Right? Because, uh, 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 
and each one yell, which sitting there and emptying one cup after another of, of strong, strong drink. So into this very atmosphere came the Tsar Nikolai himself. The first Tsar, right, was the Tsar of, of, uh, of Russia. He came in himself. Now, Nikolai was well known for his uh, cruelty and his terrible, terrible decrees against the, the, the Jews. In fact, the, the, the severity of them was literally, the, the, the most severe of all them was, of course, the, the decree of, of the Kantanistim, where these little children, Jewish children, right, were, were grabbed, kidnapped often from the hands of their mothers and sent away to the, to the army, army camps. And there they had to remain for many, many decades of years with the main purpose being to try to make them forget their very identity as, as, uh, as, as Jews. And uh, Nikolai had a certain way about him when he wanted to find out what was going on on the streets to sort of get an idea of what people were thinking and uh, and uh, and saying. So what he would do is he would uh, disguise himself, dress himself up, dress himself up as a normal uh, uh, commoner, and to sort of go to the place where people were. So when he came into the into this particular uh, bar, so he sat down, you know, next to one of the uh, the soldiers, the the soldier, who himself was one of these Kantonistim. So of course he poured out for the for the guest a cup of uh, of strong drink. The the czar sort of put back the the drink and and uh, put it down on the table. So the uh, the soldier, right? The soldier banged on the table and called out, "Don't you know that by us we don't leave an empty empty cup? Fill it." So the czar asked the uh, the bartender to fill up the the, the cup, you know, at his expense. So the two of them sat there together and drank for a few hours, right? When he was, uh, to a great extent, completely drink. So the soldier wanted to pay his, uh, his tab. But then he suddenly realized that he didn't have enough money. And he drew his sword from his uh, scabbard and gave it to the to the uh, bartender and said, look, in a few days he would come, he would pay his debt, until then he should keep the sword as a, as a pledge, right? So the Tsar, who's, who was uh, disguised, so he separated from this, uh, from this uh, soldier, but before he did, he found out his name and uh, whatever troop he was he was serving with. The next day, the commander of that particular platoon uh, received a, a urgent notice that the Tsar is going to come today to visit the the camp. So obviously, everyone was in fear. Everyone was was completely completely scared of the visit of of the Tsar because they know and they knew very very well that he was a, a bit of a crazy crazy person and he could do he could do anything right there was he could he could uh, just on a whim decide to kill people right even for the smallest detail that he didn't that he didn't like this Jewish seder, uh, uh, soldier was an absolute frenzy how was he going to stand in the parade without a sword. So he thought of an idea. So what, what he did was he, he, uh, peeled a, a, a piece of bark off a tree and formed it into the shape of, of a sword. And he colored the, the wooden handle in, in the color, uh, the appropriate, uh, color until it actually looked like a real sword. And he put it in his, uh, in his scabbard, 
And he hoped that the Tsar's discerning eye wouldn't be able to see the, the difference. So the parade began. The, the Tsar went up and down the rows of the, of the soldiers and stopped right in front of the soldier who he recognized the day before. But of course, the soldier had no idea that this was the man who he had been drinking with uh, all day, all day uh, 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 yesterday. So, the suddenly, the Tsar turned to one soldier and started screaming at him, Why is your uniform so crumpled today? Of course, this was an absolute fabrication. The uniform of that soldier was pressed to a razor-sharp crease and was absolutely immaculate. But when confronted by the Tsar, this soldier turned white and began to somehow uh, defend defend himself. But the Tsar, uh, 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 you know, just kind of that even even made him more more angry. And suddenly he turned to this Jewish soldier and commanded him, take out your swords and remove the head of that soldier who's standing next to you. Execute him on the spot. So the soldier started thinking, racing, what's he going to do now? Right? So he began and he said, says, my master is our. Says, yeah, I, I would love to fulfill the request of the, of the, of, the, of my master as as you command to me, but my heart tells me that all that that my my friend over here is absolutely innocent. He did nothing wrong, and he's not deserving of this punishment. And therefore, I'm begging you. I'm asking from the favor that if in fact my friend did not sin and and isn't guilty at all. So then the sword that I have should turn into a sword of wood. And when he said this, he removed the sword from its scabbard. And guess what? It was a wooden sword. The Tsar enjoyed very much the tremendous chachma of that, of that soldier. And he kind of uh, uh, placed himself, right? Uh, as if he was a, a friend of his almost, and said that this tremendous miracle that that happened proves that in fact the soldier is uh, is innocent, and I pardon him for for his sin, and I'm going to actually raise his 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 rank. Right? The the tsar left that uh, that troop, but he never forgot this very very clever soldier, and he he followed after him. And, and in fact, occasionally invited him to his uh, to his palace to to speak with him occasionally, right? And he instructed that he should be raised also; he should be promoted to a higher level until he actually became a general in 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 the Russian in the Russian army. One time, when they were sitting and talking together, so the Tsar said to him, "says I know, you know." that uh, you like to mention on a regular basis the creator of, of the universe. Tell me, he asked him, do you go to church quite often? So the Cantonese soldier answered, yes, I am a, a believer in God, but I've never ever gone to a church because I am Jewish. A cold sweat broke out on the face of the Tsar, and you could hear the tone of his voice rising. He says, what? Have you been tricking me all these years? You never revealed to me ever that you were a Jew, and you allowed me to promote you to the to level of being, of being a general? The soldier tried to, to explain to him that he never ever the Tsar never asked him what his, what his religion, what his religion was. And from his side, he never intended anything to hide anything from, from, from the Tsar. But now, 
if the czar wants, so I'm prepared here. Yeah, I, 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 to, I'm prepared to give back my my stars and and go back to being a, a simple a simple uh, uh, you know a soldier without any rank. And the czar refused to accept his, his suggestion and said, "No, I see that you have a tremendous, tremendous potential and a great future, but." I'm not prepared to come to terms with the fact that you are a Jew. And therefore, he suggested right away that the soldier change his religion and, uh, and he himself would attend the, the, uh, him and the queen would come and attend the, the conversion, uh, uh, uh service, but Right, this this uh, this uh, this uh, soldier would then become part of the royal of the royal family, and he would get tremendous tremendous wealth and tremendous honor. The soldier thought to himself that after that he's so so far away from anything Jewish from anything Jewish. What's the point? Uh, what's the point of him remaining a Jew? the potential for him to grow and become part of the czar's own family would be much better. Let him sort of give up his religion. Let him become a very important person in uh, in Russia. And, uh, you know, in, in his heart, he'll, he'll remain a, a, a Jew. And he agreed to the suggestion of the, of the, of the czar. At the time set time, so a a chariot of the Tsar came, went on its way, and in it was the Tsar and and his wife, and in them were with them was this uh this Cantonese soldier, and they were traveling to to the city of Kiev, and there they would have with great pomp and and ceremony the ceremony of the the uh the you know whatever his his conversion to to christianity and this poor soldier was undergoing the most terrible terrible internal battle in his in his heart in his mind and you know it was weighing up all the fa- factors and he kept coming back to this nagging feeling that his was a Jew. And suddenly he decided that under no chance at all was he going to uh, become a, a, uh, a Christian no matter what. So as they were traveling, so the chariot passed by a bridge which was over, which went over a, a very, very big, uh, 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 river. And with a cry of Shema Yisrael, that he still remembered from his his uh, childhood, this soldier jumped from the chariot straight into the into the water, the flowing water of of, of the river. The death of this uh, soldier caused Tsar Nikolai. Very, he was very very sad. He was very 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 bitter. And it left a tremendous, tremendous deep impression on, on him. And he, he kind of proved that in spite of all of his xeris, all of his cruelty, he's not being successful to uproot from the hearts of the Jews their emunah and akadosh baruch You know, after Akedas Yitzchak comes Pashas Chayesara, which is even a higher level then, Pashas Vayera. Because in Pashas Chayesoro we learn that it is incumbent upon us to give ourselves not only for Hashem's life, but even for another person. It's very, very easy for a person to die for, for HaKadosh Baruch but now the Torah is teaching us something much, much more difficult. That we have to prepare to sacrifice our lives for another person. When we read the story of Rivka, straight away, we raise our eyebrows. This is a very, very, very difficult story to understand. Here's this girl, let's say, she was three years old with extraordinary strength, 
runs to the well, draws water for Eliezer. Afterwards, he wants, he asks, and she draws again and again, this time for his ten camels of, of, uh, of Eliezer. And even she actually gives him to drink with her own hands. And on the other hand, Eliezer standing there, he's just standing there like, 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 uh, like a, like a stone. As in fact, the Gemara, the Gemara says in the Dharam that Avram Avinu took Eliezer himself to fight a war against the four great kings of the world. And nevertheless, he doesn't offer to help her, this young girl. And, you know, she works so hard for him. In addition to this, the Gemara in Shabbos says that this, you know, that a slave wears a particular emblem on his, on his, uh, clothes that everyone should know that he's an Evet. And therefore, most likely, Eliezer also had this symbol of, of his slavery on it. And Rivka knew that he was just an Evet. And, and that makes it so difficult to understand what's actually going on here. She was standing there working. He's standing there just watching her. What's, what's happening? So, anyone in a situation uh, uh, like that would have thrown down the, the, the thrown down the water, said to Eliezer, "Aren't you embarrassed? Here I'm, you're letting this little girl walk, and you're just standing here. Is that the way you behave?" And <laughs> I'm not interested in whatever you're here for, and, and run away and go home in anger. Not Rivka. Rivka saw standing in front of her a command of Hashem. What does Hashem want from me? Right? And this other person doesn't help you? Fine. That doesn't interest her at all. She's just interested in doing what Hashem wants her to do. And why, in fact, does Eliezer not help her? Because Eliezer had fed the camels before they left home. And expecting it would be a long journey, but it wasn't. Eliezer had treated the derech, the the so the ground shrunk. He got there the same day, and therefore he knew as a fact that the camels weren't even thirsty. So there was not going to need to be any major effort of drawing and drawing and drawing. On the contrary, the test over here was, as a as a Buddha says, that if you want to see if a wife is worthy of being a good wife, see how she reacts when she's challenged. Does she get upset or does she take it and is silent? And that was the test that Eliezer was testing her with. How is she going to react when I stand by and as if make it that she has to draw water for all the camels, even though the camels don't don't need it. That is the great mysterious nefesh. How do we deal with other people? Yes, it's one thing to give your life for God, but to be able to stand and even be hurt and even be insulted and carry on, that is the greatest test and true mark of a really great person. This is 11.9 High FM, Soul to Soul. The program is Soul to Soul, and we'll be back in a moment. This is Hilchos Shabbos with Rabbi Moshe Schnurb, only on 101.9 High FM. 101.9 High FM, soul to soul, back on your radio, Erev Shabbos Kodesh, Pashas Chayyei Soda, Tovshin Pei Gimel, another beautiful, beautiful Shabbos, and as we're going to see, a very special Shabbos, as it is in fact Shabbos Mavarchim, this week, Shabbos Mavarchim for Kodesh Kislev, we are just a month away from the Chag of Hanukkah, already starting to get excited about it, as certainly also we approach the end of the business year. Schools are soon going to be winding up, even businesses might be, so there's lots to look forward to, and of course Hanukkah is part of it, as we always do at this time on the show, just to give you the important details you need for this coming Shabbos. So this afternoon, the earliest time for lighting Shabbos candles is at 12 minutes past 5. 5.12 is the earliest time 
you can light your Shabbos candles. That sounds easy. It's just good three or more than three hours from from uh, from now. Uh, yeah, we can get it together. Yes, and again, if we have load shelling, so you eat the food before, you eat the food after. We make a plan. We're getting used to this routine of somehow intru- uh, inviting Shabbos into our homes around load shelling before or after. So 12, 12 is the earliest time for lighting candles. The latest time for lighting candles this week is at 6.18, 18 minutes past 6. And here we get to our, our normal standard Johannesburg uh, summer Shabbos time, which is quarter past six. So find out what your shul is doing in terms of when they are Mechabal Shabbos and kind of go along with them. So 618 is the latest time for lighting, lighting candles. And that means it's got to all be done by, by then, right? We cannot rely on the time afterwards. That is really, really emergency time for a person that's in a pretty much of a pickle of a desperate situation. They may be allowed to use some of that, by the way, some of that uh, 18 minutes, not the whole thing, maximum, even in an emergency of 15 minutes, because there is a Torah obligation to take some time that is definitely part of Friday and make it part of Shabbos. Tesefes Shabbos. Once sunset comes, Shkia, so Shkia enters us into the murky waters of Ben Ashmashas, a time that's neither near nor, neither here nor there. It might be day, might be night. It's a halachic kind of quagmire. And therefore, you've got to definitely add on some time before Shkia. That's why we have the 18 minutes. That is the preferred amount of time to add on from Friday and steal it, so to speak, and make it part of Shabbos. But even if you're desperate, you need to add a few minutes to the Shabbos day. Shkia then is at 6.36, 6.36, 24 minutes before 7 is now sunset. So therefore, if you want to be able to daven Mayriv and not have to repeat the Krishma afterwards, 6.54 if you wait till 6.54, six minutes before 7 o'clock, that is already considered to be night, and you can say the Krishna, and then, as always, settle down to a beautiful Lel Shabbos, a family and friends, and some good food, and some good zmiris, and some wonderful divrei and then, after that, a blissful relaxation, and, of course, a good Shabbos shlof, which we all so look forward to, and so and so need. Tomorrow is, of course, Shabbos Kodesh, Pashas Chaye Sora, two main subjects in the Pasha, right? The death of Sora and the search for Avram, for a wife, for his son Yitzchak. The Avtairah is parallel to the Pasha, the beginning of the book of Malachim, with Dovon Melech is elderly, Melech David Zokin, which parallels Avram Zokin, and the, the sort of the feud over the succession to the to the kingdom. But the big news is, of course, that this Shabbos is Shabbos Mavarchim Chodesh Kislev, where Chodesh Be'ez Hashem will be on Thursday and Friday of this coming week. So whatever it is that your shuls kind of throws for for Shabbos Mavarchim, a Gachont, an extra special Kiddush, whatever it might be, a, a Kumzitz, a Shia, whatever it is, participate, be part of it, and get ready for a, a beautiful later in the in the in the week. The Shabbos is getting longer, Baruch Hashem. Shabbos Kodesh ends tomorrow night at eleven minutes past seven. Seven eleven is the end of Shabbos next week. It's jumping very, very quickly at this time of the of, of the year, almost like a minute a, a, a day as we head towards the summer kind of zenith, the really, really long days of of uh of summer. We are learning about the principles of Malacha on on Shabbos and the uh Chachamim learnt from a Pasuk. The Pasuk says You shall not do, you shall not perform any activity that we call Malacha forbidden activity on Shabbos. And and we learn from that and it's specifically that 
the doing, the performance, the actual action that brings about the, 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 the performance of work. That is what the Torah forbids on, on Shabbos. But if the malach, if the work activity was done, so to speak, by itself, in, in spite of the fact that the human being caused that that work should be done. So that's, in halachic terms, that is called garama, indirect causality, and there's no Torah prohibition for, for doing that. Right? And in certain very, very, very urgent needs, one will be allowed to actually perform such an activity where you do the mulacha, by the way, and not not uh, directly. For example, let's say, God forbid, there is a fire, and the fire is spreading. So you cannot directly go and extinguish the fire. That is a terror prohibition. But you'd be allowed to put around the fire in the place where the fire is is heading in the direction that the fire is moving, you'll be allowed to place all kinds of vessels full of water so that when the fire reaches those vessels, so the the uh it will burn maybe the vessels and the they will split and the water that's inside them will flow uh, out of the of, of the vessels and hopefully extinguish extinguish the fire. That's called indirect causality. Now, it's it's uh, universally accepted in halacha that this allowance of doing something in the indirect way is only usable in a situation where we need to do something to prevent a serious, substantial kind of loss or perhaps to be able to perform a, a mitzvah for some other great and important need. But without a really, really major urgent need, it would be forbidden to even indirectly cause a malacha to be done on, on, uh, on Shabbos. Now, there are certain malachas that in fact the way they're, they're, they're done is in seemingly in an indirect way. And therefore, those kind of malachas, even if one would do them in an indirect way, since that is the way that that malacha is, is performed, so then you'd be liable, you'd be chayev for doing that malacha. Let's say, uh, for, for uh, uh, example, let's say if someone does an act of winnowing, where he throws the wheat up, and the wind comes along and blows away the chaff and stuff, and the, the kernels drop to the ground. Even though the actual uh, uh, sorting of the chaff from the from the grain takes place through the, the wind, and all you're doing, you're just causing it by throwing it up. You're not actually doing any part of the separation. But since that is the way that malacha is actually performed, the person who throws up that wheat in order to separate the chaff and stuff from it violates a Torah prohibition of, of the melacha of, of, uh, of, of Zaira. And similarly, if someone puts a fire, or someone puts a pot, let's say, on the fire, even though that's only causing that the cook, that the food should be cooked on the fire, because since that is the way of cooking, you violate a Torah, a Torah pro- prohibition. We'll be back with some few closing comments in a moment. This is 101.9 Chai FM. The program is Soul to Soul, and this is the greatest Jewish radio station in all of Africa. This is Hilchos Shabbos with Rabbi Moshe Schnurb, only on 101.9 Chai FM. One one point nine chayav em sold to so back on your radio erev Shabbos kedush parshas chayisar. We're talking about the concept of groma indirect causality of melacha, and we're saying that the permissibility to use this principle is only when the melacha is being done in an unusual way. Then 
if it's done in an unusual way and it's done by indirect causality, in other words, not by a direct action by the person, so then there's no total prohibition and you'd be allowed to do it in certain very, very necessary situations. As a general rule, anything that's where it looks like that the action is going to happen because of your direct action or of any person, that is considered your action and it's forbidden from the Torah. But where it's not even recognizable that the action was done straight from your action, but it only happened indirectly, so that is grama. For example, if a person would open a sluice gate and the water that began to flow through, uh, you know, through the empty space because of his action. So if the action was done near where, if the, the effect of the action was done near where you did it, so that's called your direct strength, and it's considered that it came from, uh, from your action, and that will be a complete action of a person. However, if the action began uh, and, and the result was only somewhere far away, so that could perhaps be called a, a secondary uh, strength, and that would be uh, a, a case of, of a grama. For instance, if the malacha was done straight away, then it's a direct outcome of my action, and it's a Torah prohibition. And if it took a little while to happen, that's a, such as mu- much of the new technology we have today for Shabbos, where it's constructed in such a way where several activities happen, and you're, let's say, flicking of a switch is not the direct cause of whatever happens. It happens through several stages. That already then reduces it to a level of, of grammar. In any event, uh, if that is the way that particular is done during the week, that the action of the person causes that the malacha happens somewhere else, and even after a long time, since that is the normal way of it happening, that would not be called grama, but a proper, proper action that is a total uh, prohibition. Because the reality is that grama is only when I cause the doing of malacha, not in the way that it's normally, normally done. That brings us really to the end of our show today. Thank God we managed to learn together. And it just remains to me to take the opportunity to thank every single one of you for joining and being part of our, our show. It makes such a difference that you're, that you're here and listening and, you know, hopefully gaining and learning from it. And just want to take the opportunity to wish everyone out there, every one of our radio family, no matter where you might be in South Africa, around the world, listening on your devices, wish each and every one of you a beautiful Geshmak, good Shabbos, and as the Shabbos of Ochem, I wish you, please God, for later in the week, a good Chodesh, look forward to Bezos Hashem, being able to spend time together next era Shabbos. A good Shabbos to one and all.